I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good evening, everybody, and thank you all so much for coming to Look Mum No Hands tonight. Um, I think Look Mum No Hands is my favourite business in London. It combines mending bikes and really good food and good company and uh, and talks. So uh, that is definitely my, my favourite kind of place. Now, I'm Caroline Russell. I'm a Green Party London Assembly member, and I am also a councillor here in Islington. Um, and on the panel tonight, we do not have... Laura Laker, you all need to tweet her your sympathies because she has got miserable wisdom tooth trouble um, and so she's had to pull out but we're very lucky because we've got two people who have stepped in instead. We have Nicole who is on my far right and we have Alex who is on my left so instead of one Laura Laker you have two extra people and we also have Simon Monk from the London Cycling Campaign, and we have Tiffany Lamb, who is a cycling activist and author of Mind the Cycling Gender Gap. But I'm going to let the panellists introduce themselves in just a minute. But first of all, I just want to say a little bit about the context for this evening. We are sort of almost a year out from the next mayoral election, and there is going to be a chance to persuade the various mayoral candidates to do good stuff for cycling. And so it felt like a good moment, really, to just pause, think, where are we now, and what do we want to see over the next four years of the next mayoral term, which will start a year in May. And um, in the office today, we were just looking at a little bit of history So in 1934, we got the first UK cycle path. It was in West London. It went um, Hanger Lane to Greenford. Um, But then we got the war and the growth of cars and many fewer people around on bikes. But in the late 1970s, the London Cycling Campaign was formed. Um, And... You know, many of us who've cycled a long time in London have been members of the London Cycling Campaign for a long time. Um, In 1981, Ken Livingstone um, was uh, at the GLC running London, and they spent 1%, that was £2 million, of their transport budget on cycling. And they established a cycling unit. 
And then in 2000, they invented the GLA after Maggie Thatcher had abolished um, the GLC. And uh, Ken Livingston again started people thinking about a London cycling network. But it was all very slow. In 2008, we got Boris Johnson. His first act was to cancel the year of walking. Um, But after his first term, which went kind of very slowly in terms of cycling delivery and a lot of the faces I recognise in this room were the people who were lying down in the road putting pressure on the mayor to actually deliver better for cycling Um, but we by 2013 Boris had come up with his cycling vision Uh, he'd moved to producing cycle superhighways and by the end of his term which was 2015 2016 there was a massive rush of building and delivery of cycle routes that I'm sure many of us in this room use every day to get around in London so Then in 2016, we had a new mayor um, who said that he was going to be a byword for cycling. And we have had a few years of a very good um, transport strategy being produced. And um, with what has felt like a bit of a slowdown on delivery, although I do believe Will Norman when he tells me that he wants the um, delivery to speed up. Um, but I think what we have today is not really what was being promised in 20, back in 2013. We've got a bit of a network. We've got a situation where it is actually still... You know, if you've got to go somewhere... Last night I had to go somewhere out in East London where I'd never been before. And actually piecing together how you get there with the scraps and bits and pieces of, of cycle provision that's available is actually very difficult. I ended up with a sort of wad of post-it notes in my pocket trying to tell myself where I was going to be going and I got there but it's not, it's not yet perfect and we certainly in outer London you know there's a lot of people who have no access to cycling facilities. So um, what we're going to be doing this evening is... Um, For the first sort of bit, we're going to be um, having a conversation up here on the panel. And then we're going to have a quick break when you can all recharge your glasses. And then we're going to open up for questions. So if... And the reason we're not taking questions as we go along is that this is being broadcast and or at least um, recorded. And we need to be able to get microphones to the people who are asking questions. So we've just decided we're going to do the first section uh, without questions. But if you have questions that come up, please, please hold them, make note of them, because we really want the contributions from all of you who are in the room. So, before I ask the actual first question, just in kind of a few words, do you want to just introduce yourselves, each of you, to say who you are so that everyone in the room knows, knows what you do? Simon, go for it. Uh, I'm Simon Monk. I'm the infrastructure campaigner at the London Cycling Campaign. Uh, so, my responsibility at, at the Cycling Campaign is traffic lights, curbs, tracks, all sorts of hard measures. Um, uh, it's quite a technical world, uh, but obviously a very vital one. Um, I'm also a resident of Walthamstow. I was very heavily involved in the Walther Forest Mini Holland. As you can probably hear my voice going already, it'll go several times whenever I mention the words Walther Forest Mini Holland. If you've not been yet, you should blooming well go, because it is a little slice of Holland in the middle of outer London. Hi, I'm Alex Stredwick. Um, 
Uh, I run Carry Me Bikes CIC, which is a community interest company. Um, we are all about freight and family cycling. Uh, we're not just a bike shop. In fact, we're not a bike shop at all, but we do sell cargo bikes. We also hire them out. We take part in a number of um, community projects, which we've been lucky enough to, um, to win some grant funding for. Um, and I was thinking about it sort of about around about sort of November, December time last year that um, I, this year, 20, 2019, uh, I've sort of been working in sustainable transport for coming up to 20 years. Um, so um, I've got this kind of, yeah, I've survived, <laughs> only just. <laughs> I've got a bit of an overview, I guess, of the past sort of 20 years and it's gone very quickly, but I thought it might be useful tonight. I'm Tiffany Lamb. I'm an urban policy researcher. My work focuses on gender, cycling, and climate change. Hi, everyone. My name's Nicole Badstuber. I'm a transport policy researcher. I'm currently based at the University of Cambridge, and my doctoral research was looking at transport policy here in London and New York. Thank you very much. Fantastic, all of you. So our first question that the panellists are going to address is what do you think London needs to make the right conditions for cycling to be safe, convenient and an absolute pleasure? Okay, so um, Ranty Highwayman on Twitter, uh, who is a highways engineer in in outer London somewhere, um, summed this up really, I think, very well, which was essentially main road cycle tracks and low traffic neighbourhoods as a starter. Um, it really isn't rocket science. The Dutch have been doing this for decades. Um, lots of other countries are now playing catch-up and doing this. Um, we still have too many boroughs that, that think they can reinvent the wheel and kind of do cycling infrastructure in a totally different way um, and somehow get completely amazing results. So I think there is a really simple answer um, to that question. The, the deeper question is why aren't we doing it and why aren't we doing it as quickly as possible? Um, and I think the thing that I keep coming back to actually, and I'm going to put it to the room really um, is I don't think we're campaigning well enough um, and that's a really nasty thing, mean thing for me to say but I'm going to say it um, which is that we have uh, TFL, are, are, they have a quality criteria now so they cannot turn out really truly rubbish schemes um, we have uh, a walking cycling commissioner and a healthy streets agenda. We have a budget that is huge. Um, we have uh, the TFL's strategic cycling analysis document that shows us where all the big routes are going to be. Um, so what's stopping us from delivering this? And I can really come down to two things. One is that we are all too often fighting to make perfect the enemy of good. Um, so my message tonight for cycle campaigners and people interested in this world is look at Seville um, and look at their network. They built an amazing mediocre network uh, in 10 years flat. Um, their junctions are rubbish. Uh, often their segregation just gives up randomly. But they have huge numbers of people cycling, and they did it because they just slammed in loads and loads of stuff. Um, so that's my message to you. My message to the boroughs is we still have way too many boroughs. You know, the number of boroughs in London that genuinely do cycling, two, three maybe, um, but we're, we're well under the fingers of one hand. Um, so, so we have a long road and a hard journey to go with boroughs to get that stuff in. But what we actually want to get in, we all know what the answer is to that one. Alex. Thanks. 
Um, I've forgotten what the question is, but it's, a, it, but it's about infrastructure, isn't it? And, and Yeah, sorry, because um, I was just busy agreeing and nodding. and uh, yeah, that's, I don't know what to say now. Um, I guess from what I'm doing at the moment with, with Carry Me Bikes and a lot of the community projects um, uh, that we're involved with, um, is, it's all about family cycling and getting uh, parents to be able to take their young children around safely by bike and trying to um, help people understand that uh, cycling is not just the preserve of the brave, it's not just the preserve of a certain section of, of the community. I know we're going to talk about that later. Um, but I think the fundamental, the fundamental principle of um, you know, quiet, um, filtered neighbourhoods and cycle tracks on the main road, it seems really obvious now... But um, going back again in time, um, when I first got involved in, originally it was cycling campaigning, um, this was kind of the early 2000s, and we, our, our sites were really, really modest, they were really low, our campaigns were um, fix the potholes, which is legitimate, absolutely legitimate, uh, and, and you know, really, really, and things like, like repaint the cycle uh, lane line, and things like that, and and to look to step back and look now and go wow we actually really do have some amazing sort of separate um, cycle tracks in various parts of London not just central London in some of the outer London boroughs which have had the mini Holland schemes um, it's, yeah it's just, just let's keep our sites really high and let's keep reminding ourselves that without this excellent infrastructure we, we can't possibly expect all sections of society to, to see that cycling is a safe and legitimate form of transport um, so that's I guess my, my top is worth but let's keep our aims high let's remember how far we've gone and let's let's keep really ambitious thank you so remembering how bad it was um, Tiffany can I ask you to go next I completely agree that material infrastructure is necessary for uh, safer cycling um, but in addition to material infrastructure there has to be investment in social infrastructure as well, which means education and encouragement schemes to ensure that cycling is inclusive. The last TFL cycling action plan released in December found that 49% of people in London feel that cycling is not for people like me. And to get that almost half of the city population to feel that cycling is for them, that requires more than Cycle lanes. It requires um, inclusive representation, uh, inclusive imagery, education, and encouragement. Fantastic. Yeah. Nicole? Great. Well, I'd love to echo what um, Tiffany said, but it's all about, if you think about any journey, is that journey viable by cycling? And if it's not a safe network, then people are not going to make that journey. And I think often um, it's very peaceful what we have here. Um, it's not always connected up so easily. So the entire journey falls because of the weakest link in it. So thinking about infrastructure, what we need to invest in is in junction design and then linking up the whole network or the, the peaceful parts together to create a network that can really compete and be an alternative to the other modes of transport. Thank you. Can I just, while we're still talking about infrastructure, um, I wonder if any of you have got anything to say about the difference between what's happening in inner London and outer London where um, people are stuck with very hostile main roads with very fast-flowing traffic. Does anyone? Simon? Yeah, so uh, for the second time tonight, I'm going to mention Walther Forest. Um, 
We have now multiple, actually, out of London boroughs that are really doing amazing things on cycling. Walter Forest is one, Enfield is another. Now, both of them had circa £30 million from uh, Boris, uh, the last mayor, to do stuff. So they're kind of special cases, um, but they demonstrate very strongly what can be achieved in outer London if there's political will and a bit of money. Um, but then you look at places like Hounslow, um, who have done the Boston Manor Road scheme. Off, was it lip funding, Mike? Uh, okay, borough funding. So, so a borough that's gone out and just built a big chunk of cycle track off its own back. Um, so it is by no means impossible for outer London boroughs to do better. And actually, I think we do them a disservice um, when we kind of don't hold them up to a high standard. Uh, in the same way that we, hold, we do uh, central and inner London a disservice when they don't do stuff. Why did Hackney take so long to start building cycle tracks? Um, you know, why has Westminster and KNC still never done anything at all unless forced absolutely um, to do it? So, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, why does Southwark love granite sets but not actually cycle tracks? Um, so we have a whole bunch of inner and outer London issues and actually those issues remain the same no matter where you are. Um, if anything, I think, I think, you know, outer London is proving now that it can do it despite lack of funding. Inner London, you know, uh, uh, Westminster is set to spend £30 million on the Strand Aldwych scheme with no cycling provision. Um, they're set to spend £150 million over three years uh, for the Oxford Street scheme with no cycling provision. Um, so we have two major schemes that are not funded by TfL or the Mayor or anyone. Just Westminster is funding that. Um, they've got very deep pockets that, and they don't care. <laughs> Sorry, I sort of jumped in there. I know you're just about to move to the next bit, but it's something just occurred to me... Um, uh, while, while we were talking about that um, just in terms of the difference between inner and outer London um, in terms of demographics in, in, and in terms of car ownership and car use I think outer London boroughs have an extra challenge in terms of political implementation of things like reallocating the space because the, inner and outer London are almost two different Londons if you look at all of the research that TfL does all the incredible data it gathers um, and and, and also data from uh, you know census data and a national travel survey things like that it's incredible what kind of rich information is is taken out of that and we we have kind of two different Londons and to be able to to make the changes in outer London it requires us I think correct me if I'm wrong because you do have Westminster and KNC who still are very resistant uh, in inner London um you know there, there are more political barriers to, to overcoming in outer London I'm really really glad that that Enfield has really stepped up to that with with their um cycle and Enfield mini Holland and really made a success of it started to make a success of it and um yeah I think we've always got to remember you know car use and other vehicles on the road and how we can politically tackle that as well as uh, increased cycling Thank you. Well, Alex has neatly, neatly moved us on to the next thing that we were meant to be talking about, which is widening participation um, and how we can get more people to make cycling a choice for their everyday journeys. So in particular, you've already raised the people in outer London who, um, and we did some research just recently um, on the assembly, which showed... um, kind of really worrying um you know 25 percent of people in outer london feel forced to own a car to do their everyday journeys and 
that may partly, of course, be the years of the fossil fuel companies and the car manufacturing companies uh, pushing us all towards a a car-based transport system, but it's also partly to do with the state of the um, roads in some boroughs in in outer London. But Alex, would you like to... um, come back on um, on how we get more people to feel cycling is for them. Sorry, it's me again, sorry. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've worked on a number of participation projects in, in, in my career and kind of started off in sort of early 2000s focusing on a Cycling for Women project. And again, at the time, it was very much about training and confidence. And those things are really, really important, um, absolutely part of the, part of the key. Um, and I'm also some a lot of the work I'm doing now with families, uh, with, with parents and carers with, with young children. Again, it's about confidence. It's about information. It's about um, equipment and knowing what kind of options are out there. Um, I mean, we're running um, with Hackney Cycling Campaign and an amazing campaigner who a lot of you will probably know called Ruth Anna McQueen, who um, has set up the Hackney Family Cycling Night. Sorry, if I got to get a bit sorry, sorry, it's like right in my face. Sorry, Hackney Family Cycling Library, Uh, and it's now the mobile library because we use a bike, of course, with an enormous box and electric assist to take the mobile library around. And it's a it's a library of kit to help families understand about all the different combinations of things that they can put on their own bike. To, to get their small children around, so front seats, back seats, trailer bikes, trailers, those kind of things. But anyway, what I'm, what I'm saying is there are lots of participation projects that we can do and we need to support more with funding and politically. Um, but I think that, you know, the fundamental thing, again, going back to infrastructure yet again, but I think... Um, you know, we, we have got to uh, go back to the point about making sure cycling is inclusive and it's, it's, it's not just one particular type of person who's confident enough, enough to ride. Um, so, yeah, information, training, better infrastructure, um, supporting each other and trying not, to, trying not to fight with each other for space on the road as well. But that's a bit of a thorny subject. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to come to Tiffany next. Um, and if you can pick up more on how we get a wider range of people um, feeling that cycling is something they can do. Sure. I think um, perceptions of safety and just the subjective experience of comfort and safety need to more adequately enter um, engineering and planning discourses and practices, especially from a gender perspective. Perceptions of safety really impact how, when, where and why women and girls travel. And it's not just um, safety from road traffic, but it's also safety from harassment and violence. And until that can really enter into engineering discourse and the way we think about and design infrastructure, then a lot of women and girls aren't going to feel that it's safe for them to cycle. It's not just cycling. It's about public transport, walking, driving, too. Thank you. Nicole? Um, so just to pick on, up on that a little, I would say I'm um, trying to change other road users' attitudes um, so we can do this in part through de- the design of the road so we can make it less car dominant so that the perception for, in particular, the private motorised u- user is less that in, they, sh- they own the sh- road. Um, but generally... A- it's a, a mixture of elements to make cycling more accessible. So to have role models that um, are a, bro- a broader range of people, see them cycling, um, have a network that is um, perceived as being safe, um, and then also not being harassed, so road users being more respectful 
for cyclists. Thank you. And Simon? Um, I, think, I think most of it's already been said. We start with infrastructure, I would say that. Um, and we then move on to a whole bunch of other measures that, that remove those key barriers. Um, you know, we've just been recently working with um, families in Tower Hamlets um, where they have nowhere to store a bike because nearly all the families in Tower Hamlets are living in flats with very little space. Um, so uh, bike hangers that we're seeing popping up on streets everywhere, um, estates that have proper secure lockups, that's a huge issue for some people. Um, similarly, you know, uh, cargo bike loans is a massive, massive issue I've seen. Again, in Walther Forest, I'm going to say Walther Forest again, uh, Walther Forest, Mini Holland, um, and in fact I see someone from, from the crews that are out there. Um, huge respect to uh, all the people in Walther Forest who are starting to use cargo bikes, have loaned cargo bikes, then bought them. Um, there, are, there are Muslim women groups now riding around. I quite regularly ride down Lee Bridge Road um, and uh, coming the other way are kind of 30 women all having the time of their life on bikes, grinning, and I'm just thinking I want to turn round and ride with them. Uh, it would be wildly inappropriate, but I still want to do it. Um, you know, uh, because they're just clearly having a ball that I'm having to ride to work and I'm facing kind of Hackney and then Tower Hamlets afterwards to get to work, whereas they're just riding around the Mini Holland. So um, there is a whole bunch of other issues and, and measures that can be done. Um, secure parking at stations, uh, promotion, behaviour change materials, uh, travel planning, etc. that need to happen. Every single barrier that stops someone from making that journey with a bike and helps them make that journey with a car needs to be dismantled. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I think the other thing about the um, bike storage, um, since the Grenfell fire... Um, a lot of councils have now got much, much stricter about things being kept on balconies on estates. And so there's a massive need for extra secure cycle parking and particular, particularly bike hangers that are affordable to use. Um, uh, and, and, and also just because we've lost all the, properly lost all the um, guardrail that used to be everywhere, but there's still not enough um, Sheffield stand racks around the place for people to be able to lock their bikes and there's a community nurse who came to me to my council surgery who just needed more bike parking on estates so that she could do her job she was doing her visits and she was wasting time looking for secure places to park her bike and until we think of everyday workers as using their bikes to get around for everyday for their everyday work, then we're not going to be building the right kind of infrastructure in the city to enable people to do it. Um, I'm going to move on uh, because we uh, have another section to talk about, which is um, Vision Zero and reducing road danger. And I gather that someone actually uh, came off their bike just down the road just while we were all gathering here earlier. I hope the person is, is okay. The reports I heard were that uh, she probably was um, but it is really shocking that for many of us as we cycle home every evening we experience helping pick someone up after some kind of crash with a motorised vehicle sometimes they're quite slight but it always means there's some kind of damage to the person's bike and they're a bit bruised Hopefully they're not very seriously injured, but you know many of us um, will have cycles past some of the really horrendous crashes that happen in London. So um, we have um, a mayor with a transport strategy that has a, an ambition to get to zero people being killed or seriously injured on the roads by 2041. 
it's really, I mean, how do you work out how many serious injuries are acceptable? I really, I, it's just, you know, that just shouldn't be a question. Um, <coughs> but um, what um, I'd like our panellists to come back on now is um, what do you think the mayor, our police and Transport for London could do on a regular basis in London to help to reduce road danger? And I'm going to come to Tiffany first. I think Vision Zero is a really important policy milestone. Um, It's kind of the first institutional recognition that there are more vulnerable road users and they need to be looked after. Um, In the U.S., Vision Zero has really taken off in the past couple of years And in many U.S. cities, Vision Zero has been very good at addressing symptoms of unsafe roads, but not the underlying causes, um, such as historic disinvestment in certain neighborhoods because they are of lower income or because a lot of ethnic minorities live there. Um, There's been a lot of evidence in U.S. cities of racial disparities in police enforcement in the name of Vision Zero because in the absence of political will, police enforcement just becomes easier. It's cheaper to do than to redesign streets. And you can quantify citations and just say, look, we've issued... 100 citations this month, we're doing so much for Vision Zero, and that doesn't really get interrogated. Um, All that to say, Vision Zero is a very important policy, but it really can't be adopted without a wider discussion of um, structural inequalities and systemic racism. Thank you. Nicole? Um, so I guess my big thing would be about moving away from the car dominance of uh, on our streets. So what we need to we can do that through design, as I said earlier. We can make it so that car drivers are um, encouraged to drive slower. But generally, it means uh, shifting people from travelling by car, or by motorised vehicle, to public transport, cycling, walking. Um, the more people we shift out of it, the more of an argument we have for giving people um, the streets rather than cars. Thank you. Simon? Um, I, th- I think the thing we have to do really is, and I'm going to say, is just give a shit, really. I'm, I'm afraid to say um, we have far too many boroughs and far too many politicians who don't. Um, and it's shocking to me. It's shocking to me. This road was recently the, the site of a, a protest. Uh, Make the Lane, the Active Travel Now group, uh, did a protest out here. This road has supposedly been on the list for Islington Council to do for about five years. Um, now, it should have been done five years ago, frankly, um, and it has sat and, and nothing has been done. It's gone in and out of modelling. Uh, it's been back and forwards at TfL, um, and this road remains uh, absolutely dangerous. Uh, so in the last few years, we had three women lose their legs here, uh, all of them, I think all of them from HGVs. Um, we- Just say that again. I cannot believe our local paper had three women lose legs. I mean, and on the front page. I mean... Sorry. <laughs> so, so the excuses from politicians, and I'm going to call out as an council on this one, absolutely 100%, um, are just horrific. 
There are, um, at the eastern end of this, we call this, London Scientific Government call this a London Boulevard. At the eastern end of this, sorry, western end of this, um, there are upwards of 7,000 people daily cycling on this route. Um, this route is a cycle superhighway uh, that has no cycle superhighway. Um, and people die and people are injured here, um, and no one seems to give a crap. Um, so that is a really shocking, shocking thing to me every day. Um, the other thing that's shocking, um, so I, I absolutely massive props from me personally to Stop Killing Cyclists, who I know in the room, for their dying whenever someone's killed, um, for Active Travel Now, for their Make the Lane protests. I think it's absolutely vital we do more stuff to really highlight to the boroughs particularly that they are not doing well enough. Uh, Lambeth Bridge North named the, the most lethal UK roundabout for cycling. Um, uh, Westminster Council opposed the TfL proposals there that would have basically solved Lambeth Bridge North and made it Vision Zero uh, on the basis of the removal of a palm tree. Um, really, do I have to say that again? The removal of a palm tree trumps people's lives. Um, so we have really, really serious issues with councils. Um, we also have an issue where uh, TfL itself is not grasping what Vision Zero means. Um, so I see a lot of junctions early. I'm seeing schemes that may be two years out. Um, and I see junctions that might knock 20% off the casualty figures. I'm seeing junctions that might just about scrape in as a serious every year. Um, and, and that's not good enough. So we have, to, we have to really stand up and say this is not good enough and it's not fast enough. Um, the other thing that shocks me constantly is there are so many pedestrians killed in London. We don't know their names so we know the name of every single cyclist who dies each year. I can't tell you the names of a single pedestrian that's killed in London, and there are loads of them. So I would really like Living Streets. I would really like the pedestrian organisations. I'd really like people who care about this to go out and protest every single death, not just the cyclist deaths. Thank you, Simon. Can you... Yeah. Not quite sure how to follow that. I feel slightly queasy actually being reminded of these horrific injuries, but we need to remember these things. Um, I guess it's it's hard to sort of articulate um, thoughts on this issue because I guess Vision Zero is extremely laudable aim. Um, I think it was Sweden who originally came up with a sort of zero zero casualties um, proposition a long time ago, and I don't know how successful they've been. Um, but I guess there's kind of two things here. The first one, I guess, it's worth mentioning is that Vision Zero, I guess, is about actual numbers of people being hurt. Um, and you've also got subjective safety, which is the fear of being hurt. And those are two different things, although they are connected, because as the more we hear about horrific things happening, the more people get put off from cycling. And the second thing, um, I guess, that comes to mind is that it's like it's another form of bullying this kind of um uh the hierarchy that's that's sort of taken for granted on the streets of the car being king of the dominant um form of transport out there kind of bullying other people out of the way and that you know whether and that's something that that people from different sections of society experience all the time you know if you're from an ethnic minority or you're um you know have a disability or children kind of get bullied out of public space uh and it's another it's just yet another example of 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 sort of dominance sort of bullying out people who haven't got as much power um and so in terms of um, tackling that, I, I guess I just wanted to raise those two different things because it's, it's kind of the underlying sort of um, theories behind it, I guess. And there always has to be a 
various different ways to approach this, from redesign of streets through to um, you know, sort of fiscal kind of measures, tax things which encourage people to do one thing over another, um, lots of different things. And I, I, I can't possibly have the solutions, but I thought those two points were, were worth bearing in mind. The subjective safety versus actual numbers, uh, and they are linked. Um, and the fact that it's a form of bullying, and, and we've got to accept that and try and try and make that, you know, socially unacceptable, essentially. And also, we need to praise the organisations, the construction organisations, that are beginning to invest in direct vision lorries. Because, you know, when I get overtaken by a cement mixer, which has one of the low-cab designs, where the driver can actually look across and wave at you, it just, it humanises the relationship with the lorry, and it reduces that sense of feeling bullied and the but you know having a skip lorry thundering past you is or a bus driving too fast past you is massively an issue and i think there's a huge amount that can be done in terms of uh trying to make sure that all buses at least um uh stick to speed limits um I am very, very aware of the time and we're nearly running towards the end of the first half and we're we're meant to let you all go and get another drink. So I'm going to move us on to our final um, section, um, which is... we're, We're one year out from choosing a new mayor for London and the context is shifting very, very rapidly. Last November, we had the IPCC report, which told us that we had about 12 years to decarbonise and to address climate change. So this is a massive, massive opportunity for the things that the people in this room want to see happening uh, in London. Um, It's... So, yes, so the final question is, if you could see one thing, small thing, big thing, but one thing delivered for cycling in the next mayoral term, what would that be? And I'll start with Nicole this time. Okay, so when I think about the future of transport, I often get asked, what's the future of transport going to be? And in many ways, it's going to be the same infrastructure we have today. And so what I think we should be doing is looking at using our road space better. Um, When I walk down the street, um, I commute to Cambridge, I walk down the street and I see parked cars taking up half of the space. Half of our public space is being used up by a handful of people's private property. So I think we should be um, getting rid of on-street parking in our city centres, in our inner town areas. Um, That would give us a lot of space to reallocate to cycle lanes, but also to better pedestrian spaces. Um, And it would discourage people from using their car um, because they have nowhere to put it at the other end of their journey. Very good. Um, Should we just go back along? Tiffany, do you want to go next? Uh, I agree with um, removing more parking spaces. I would also say that um, TFL should conduct safety audits um, with different groups of people just to understand like what Alex was saying before uh, just the nuances of safety and how we can have stats of injuries and collisions and the junctions at which they occurred, but things like near misses, close passes, 
uh, or inadequate street lighting, those also contribute to how safe you feel when you're out and about, and that doesn't enter into um, best practice for infrastructure design. Okay, so we have removing parking, we have safety audits, and... uh, Check it, keeping, you know, getting all the data on all the things that we need data on. Alex, what are you going to give us? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah, Nicole has actually said what I was going to say, which is that, um, you know, most people do have a home to go to, most people. Uh, so most journeys do start at home. So looking at residential streets and, and redesign and so on, but I can't say that now. <laughs> um, and before I had the problem, too many things, now I can't think of anything. Um, but I would say... Um, uh, I'm Carry Me Bikes and a number of other sort of organisations are involved in a coalition called Beyond the Bicycle, which is sort of housed by charity Wheels for Wellbeing. And um, our, our sort of campaign is, is about um, remembering that uh, cycling is not just about the sort of traditional, um, standard kind of two-wheel bike, but that there are lots of different types of bikes and trikes out there um, that for, to, to meet, meet the needs of lots of different people uh, with disabilities or carrying children or carrying freight. So, I mean, essentially I would say this because I run an organization which is has got that at the heart of it but um, you know we've got to remember that uh, they can be genuine car replacement vehicles they can be genuine mobility aids uh, bicycles can can solve so many sort of problems for, for people in terms of their mobility that we've got to make sure we design all our all our cycle facilities all our cycle parking um, even things to do with uh, the links with public transport so parking at public transport hubs and getting to public transport hubs and even taking your non-standard bicycle on public transport, we've got to always bear in mind uh, I'd like to see that far higher up the agenda so that um, non-standard bicycles can be uh, far more included within the sort of urban environment. So I think that's adding a a London filled with a complete range of non-standard bicycles to enable everyone to, uh, to do the journeys that they want to do. Simon, what are you going to give us? Um, I, I thought about lots of things. I thought about smart road user charging. I thought about lots of other things as well. Um, but I think for me, and this could this possibly be very, very selfish, um, but I want to see an end to consultation as a referendum. Um, that's, that's the one single thing that would deliver more schemes quicker in London than just about anything else. Um, um, I, I think we've all learned nationally uh, exactly how well uh, that one goes. Uh, when we ask a kind of vague and, and, and undefined question and then say to everyone, do you really want this or not, uh, we tend to get very distorted results. Um, at a local level, we know that, that taxi drivers are massing over all sorts of schemes right now. Um, they have delivered huge numbers um, on a whole bunch of schemes that really now hang in the balance. Um, so we, we, as cycle campaigners, at I mean, we've been very effective um, for a long time in delivering lots of numbers to certain key consultations. Um, and I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here, potentially by saying that that's actually a very stupid thing to do. But it is, because every consultation becomes a war of us versus them. Every consultation becomes who's going to get more numbers, the cyclists or the taxi drivers? Who's going to get more numbers, the local NIMBYs or the, the people who want a progressive scheme? Um, and that's not the way to do it anymore. Um, and that's, that, totally, that's, that whole approach is broken. So if we can have a system where we say, this is the need that we've identified... We can have a conversation about how we deliver that need best for residents, for everyone, businesses, etc. But how we then go ahead and deliver it no matter what, we change the whole game for London. (laughs) 
Simon, you're so right. I mean, I think the... Uh, seriously, it is... Um, getting away from the he said, she said of those consultation responses and actually getting to a point where there can be a proper grown-up conversation about what we want for our city and where the things, you know, where climate change, reducing the carbon emissions from transport, cleaning up our air, reducing road danger, if those things are non-negotiable, it then puts a really different slant on all the decisions, the local decisions about what does and doesn't get put put on our roads and whether we use our roads for storing cars or whether we use them for people cycling and walking and crossing the road and all those other nice things. Um, Thank you uh, to our all our panellists. We are going to take a short break now. Um, How long is our break? Is it 10 minutes? It's a 10-minute break uh, when you can quickly get yourself a drink and then we are really looking forward to your questions. So please, please, please make sure you've got questions. Thank you. Broadly, of how many people have got burning questions that they want to ask, just so we have a sense of the scale of what we've got to do in the next 40 minutes. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. So, first question in the grey top, your name and your Twitter name, and then the question. And we'll actually take three questions, so put your hands up again. Uh, So, the woman in the grey top, the man behind, and uh, the person here in the blue top in the second row. Um, so, Kat Jennings. Sorry, Kat Jennings. Um, and on Twitter is Kat Jennings. Um, given the importance of the role that the boroughs play in the infrastructure that's delivered, have they done enough to retain the right to be in control of much of the roads in London? And should we be campaigning for the. Has the mayor done enough to take over the rights of the roads in London? Admirable question. Next question. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Jonathan on Twitter, J Rothwell. Um, my question is kind of um, well, for a start, I wanted to touch on what uh, Tiffany Alanik said, uh, particularly about uh, the kind of power structures and hierarchy, the uh, fact that it's uh, the fact that in many cases people feel bullied on the roads. Um, and certainly, I mean, I know many people here will have uh, many people here will have nasty experiences. It's a uh, it's been quite recent that I have been threatened with physical violence uh, for calling someone out for a close pass. And if that's the abuse I get as a white cis man, I cannot imagine what it's like if you are a woman, if you are not white, if you are, for some reason, not gender-conforming, if you are disabled, or so on. How do you feel about the potential risk associated with... Um, with kind of promoting or encouraging cycling uh, when these dangerous interactions are still possible and may put people off. Okay, and then it needs to come through to here. Thank you. Um, Steve Natras, uh, Cycloptic on Twitter. Um, doing the Make the Lane the other day, standing in the middle of the road, a lot of the traffic there is commercial traffic. There's a lot of buildings still going up in London. So it's an infrastructure question. What should we be doing about the office blocks that have dozens of different um, um, printer people coming in, plumbers coming in, and everyone else coming in? Is there an infrastructure that needs building within the city as well? Okay, thank you. So we have three questions. We have... um, are the boroughs, 
you know, have they done enough to deserve to run all our roads in London and should we campaign to take the roads, I don't know, back to TfL or something? Uh, uh, Jonathan, about the power structures, people being bullied on the roads, and how do we feel about the risk of encouraging more people given it's such a hostile environment out there and then the final question about make the lane what do we do about freight consolidation really deliveries to offices so who wants to go first tiffany do you want to pick up the one from jonathan to start with sure um that is a tricky one because i feel like every if you cycle on like a daily basis there's something that happens every day that's uh, very jarring and it shouldn't be a well if you're tough enough then you can just deal with that kind of thing um i think that's where encouragement schemes can play a very key role um things like bike body systems where a more experienced cyclist can kind of mentor a more novice cyclist and help with route planning, uh, do test rides, things like that, and reframing cycling as something that's doable um, and can be fun. Um, I also think representation in policy documents can play a role because there's, it's not that, like, underrepresented communities just don't want to cycle it's the feeling that it's not for me is because you don't see yourself reflected and ultimately people do what they perceive to be possible so the more role models um people like them that they see out there um the more accessible cycling will seem thank you um simon can i ask you to pick up the borough question so, um, and quite speedily, because I'm aware there's a okay. lot of people who want to ask questions. So I, I think the simple answer on that one is there is no simple answer. Um, I am a street battler. Anyone who knows my work in Walter Forest, anyone who knows what I've done, um, I'm very much a pragmatist. Um, and my belief is that unpicking hundreds of years of uh, borough organisation um, and risking losing boroughs like Walter Forest, Camden, uh, various other boroughs who actually want to do good stuff. Um, if you get a rubbish mayor, if Sean Bailey gets in and wants to do nothing for cycling or rip stuff up, those boroughs will be our bulwark against that. Um, so I, I think, first, it's not very achievable, and secondly, I'm not even sure if you could achieve it, you wouldn't necessarily want to achieve it. Um, again, this goes back to my consultation and referendum approach. Boroughs already now face a situation where TfL are, are imposing quality criteria and saying if you do not match the mayor's transport strategy, you get no money. That is a massive step in the right direction. Um, quality criteria is a massive step in the right direction. But we have... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. To keep levering our power onto the boroughs, but I don't think there is a kind of amazing highfalutin answer to say that the mayor's going to step in and just take power off all the boroughs. Um, successive mayors have had lots of opportunities to take roads off off the boroughs and none of them have done it and the reason why is because legal action um you would get mired in all sorts of legal action so fight for the schemes you can tackle the boroughs where you can move fast do lots excellent take that that one actually it's easier yeah okay um i'll try and be quick um steve's question about about essentially freight is it steve sorry i hope i got right yeah Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, all right, I see. Well, <clears throat> coming from an uh, organisation that is all about cargo bikes, I think I would say cargo bikes for um, <laughs> uh, last mile delivery and for, you know, tradespeople like um, plumbers, electricians. There's people, I think, um, just automatically assume that a small van has to be the vehicle of choice, but not necessarily. It's like everything else. If, you've got a, if you buy yourself a small van, you'll fill it and you'll be carrying lots of stuff around all the time that you don't actually need, whereas um, there are companies out there that rely on cargo bikes and electric assist. It's a game changer. I used to be a snob. I used to be, ooh, we don't need electric assist. We do. You do with a cargo bike. It's, it's fantastic. So I think there's so much opportunity now uh, for last mile delivery by cargo bike, electric cargo bike, um, freight consolidation projects, things like that. And really, really briefly, to touch on the other question, uh, is it Jonathan? Um, and I've kind of forgotten what it is. Pra- uh, uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I think it's really important. I know there is um, a conflict there between promoting something that then you you do hear about people getting terribly hurt and killed but on the other hand it's really important for us to remember we've got to demonstrate there's a different way of doing things and I think with cycling it's it's it's, it's easy in a way to say look there is an alternative and each person can make an individual choice about how they travel around Uh, and if we if we can there's always that, um, you know, the more people who cycle, the more legitimate it is, the more funding will go into making it safe, and it's a virtuous circle. So I totally get your point, but I think we must demonstrate how different it could be. Okay. Nicole, do you mind if we move on to the next batch of questions and you can go first on the next lot? We've actually just had a question in via Facebook. Um, I've often had issues with pedestrians on mobile phones crossing the street and not paying attention and nearly walking out right in front of me. Any suggestions on how we might help prevent this from Crystal on Facebook? So do you want to have a go at that one, Nicole? Sorry, just to jump you in at the deep end. 
Um, I'm not. I'm not sure I can solve that one. But we could have things at crossings that, for instance, I've seen some cities have lights at the bottom where you have the tactile paving, which alert people that it's green and you can now cross the road. Um, so that might be a technological solution to that problem, specific problem. Simon, slow down. Slow down, basically, really, come on. We are, we are, we love cycling. I love cycling. Cycling is brilliant. We are a multimodal city, uh, and the future is not just bikes, but segways and scooters and mobility devices and all sorts of stuff, yeah, and pedestrians, and they're allowed to be on phones. The Dutch have a brilliant, brilliant concept for the way they design streets. They have a whole series of principles. One of them is to be forgiving. That means that a lorry driver can pay pay attention to his phone for a moment and no one dies. Child wobbles or falls off on their bike, no one dies. Pedestrian on their phone steps out, no one dies. Yeah? So let pedestrians be pedestrians. Let people be people. Let idiots be idiots. Slow down. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to move on. Can I have the show of hands for the next lot of people who are... Okay, I've got, I've got two of you at the back. Um... Yes, and I'll take you at the front. Um, so that's the next three. Sorry, Anita, I'll come to you shortly. But so we've got at the back two, Casper and Donica, and you've got... So you go with your question to start with. Hi. And can we have the questions? If we're going to get to everyone who wants to ask something, we need to be concise with our answers and with our questions. Hi, I'm Alex Armitage. I'm from Hackney Green Party, and I'm a children's A&E doctor. Um, can we have a car to cargo bike trade-in scheme across London Um, it seems like a no-brainer for every single purpose of ours thanks very much Well, I tell you what, I'll just answer that because the mayor has got a scheme at the moment where anyone who is running a small business who has been seen with their vehicle being seen in the congestion zone um, by the AMPR cameras can um, trade in their vehicle and get given £3,500 to buy a cargo bike. Um, So that is available now, but only for small businesses who operate in the central congestion zone where the ULEZ is starting. So your question is out of the way. Two questions at the back. Hello, uh, my name's Casper. I'm representing Stop Killing Cyclists, currently this second. Um, My question is about cabs. Uh, the, so 40% of the uh, PHVs and, uh, and all taxis in the congestion charge zone, 40% of all traffic is cabs and PHVs. That's split 20% each, PHVs and black cabs. Uh, the black cabs obviously can uh, drive around empty looking for fares, which means they do about 230 million miles empty when there's nothing worse than a zero-occupancy vehicle driving around. That we know they're incredibly effective lobbyists. How do we deal with them? Okay, and the next question. Sure. Um, can I just say my, my gift to London, as you're asking for gifts, is that we should have a car-free centre of London and car-free town centres across London. But my, my question is, is this. Um, it goes back to the previous person. Caroline, this, this whole event was based because you quite rightly identified a massive underspend by the Mayor of London. And... and uh, Simon quite rightly identified the, the fact that we have a real problem with boroughs across London. So I must reiterate the previous question in a different way. Would the panel support that the GLA Act should be amended so the Mayor of London has the right to install 
a strategic cycling infrastructure without a veto from the 35 authorities that currently can veto it and delay it. But the mayor would not have the right to, to the, the, the boroughs would retain the right to veto removal of that infrastructure. That's my question. Does that, can you understand it? Uh, just about, are you saying you want the mayor to be able to impose infrastructure on borough roads and... But not bor- remove them. And the, the, boroughs the can... Retain the veto power over removal. So the boroughs can put more in, but they can't take anything out. That's right. <laughs> Who wants that one? <laughs> So uh, I think the short answer is uh, I wish you every luck in campaigning for that. I'm not going to campaign for that because I think it's a real tough one to win. Um, I'd rather just get in loads and loads of schemes as quick as I can. But, yeah, why not? Good luck to you. Okay, and what about Casper's question, which was about these empty miles being driven by cabs? Does anyone have any thoughts on dealing with those? Um, I guess a, ref- a, formed con- a reformed congestion charge might help solve that problem. So if you had a, a pricing structure where you pay per mile travelled within inner London or based on how congested that area is, and that that would also apply to taxis and private hire vehicles, which are co- obviously currently exempt from the congestion charge. Okay, so do we have the next three questions, please? Okay, I've got one here at the front. Uh, Anita over there, and I've got, um, yes, red, te- red, n- no, n- um, at the back, woman, yes, Helen. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do we have the mic? Yes, oh, give it to Helen, because she's right nearby you. Hi, um, I'm Helen Koshkel on Twitter. Um, just, first of all, how do we detoxify the image of cycling? And secondly, how do we move away from the model of car ownership? Two I'm- questions. Okay, very good ones. Okay, quick, get the mic to Alex, yes. Um, Hi, uh, Alex, Uh, I'm Rahario on Twitter. So my question is infrastructure-related, and it is to do with the boroughs. Um, But two years ago, Will Norman released uh, a document looking at cycling potential called the Strategic Cycling Analysis. My question is, he spent a lot of time ranking particular routes, saying these are the ones with the most potential on paper based on a model, but hasn't taken into account the political will of any of those boroughs. Is it time that that kind of evidence base now takes into account political will of particular boroughs, and should TfL be pushing funding, especially from an underspend, in that direction? Okay, thank you. And then we've got one more question behind you, Anita. If you can keep it, no, just one, Anita, and keep just it Just one, keep okay. What, Anita from Islington, I go, no Twitter, because I'm too old. Like, <laughs> what, what about low-traffic neighbourhoods as opposed to livable neighbourhoods or, or mini Holland, because those are more, much more expensive, whereas low-traffic, as I take it, there is not much physical work to do. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, so we have um, detoxifying the image of, um, of cycling, which I suppose goes back to what we were talking about earlier about getting more people on board with actually wanting cycling infrastructure to go in, with a sneaky uh, little thing about car ownership and how to bring that down as well. We have the um, infrastructure in the boroughs. Oh, Alex, I've lost your question. Um, Strategic cycling analysis, I think... Should it take, should it take into 
Should it take into account political will? And then Anita's question about low traffic neighbourhoods. Anyone want to pick one of those three? Nicole. Um, So I think the way that we tackle car ownership is by providing uh, good alternatives and they will be by a mixture of public transport and cycling and walking. So those really need to collectively be a true alternative for all travel, all potential trips that someone might make. Um, And and that might include as well car sharing or being able to hire a a van when you need to go to Ikea. Um, Often the motivation for buying a car, the the type of car that people buy, is the few um, use cases once a year, once every few years. Um, So we need to have a a frequent public transport network. We need to have safe cycling network um, and livable streets that um, cater for pedestrian and walking. Thank you very much. Um, Tiffany, did you want to pick up on the detoxifying the image of cycling? I think one important place to start is looking at policy documents and discourse and the way that cycling and cyclists are represented officially um, from the top down. So, for instance, looking at Boris Johnson's um, mayor's vision for cycling from a couple of years ago, he refers to both the mammals and the East End hipsters on fixie bikes. Um, And these are facetious stereotypes, but when they get reinforced in policy documents and when policymakers go out and put put forth the image that these are the two ways that cyclists can be, that's where it can get dangerously reinforced. Um, So the people designing cycling policies and infrastructure have to keep in mind that cycling, to be for everyone, cycling has to be representative of everyone. Thank you very much. Um, and I think also adding into that is um, trying to deal with that, the business of particularly older people getting very grumpy with cyclists quietly cycling up behind them and startling them. Well, actually, it's, it goes back to what Simon was saying about slowing down sometimes um, and, and everyone being mindful of each other that, you know, if we are all in our city, it's a crowded city and we do actually have to look out for each other and, and try and build those positive, good relationships. Um, and we are all, when we're on our bikes, we are ambassadors for cycling. Any of us who does something bad on our bike... It will be noticed. It will be seen, particularly if you're me, because I get spotted by taxi drivers. But um, I got spotted by Will Norman once. <laughs> so yes, um, but 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 do we should all think about uh, about how we are behaving on on the street? Um, Alex, can I get you to pick up on the? Were you going to pick up on Alex's uh, question? Very very quickly. Yeah, um, I have a confession to make. Um, hope I'm amongst friends. Um, I did very briefly work for TfL at the time when the demand analysis was, was being, being done. Um, and I mean, I guess a model is only as good as the information that goes into it. So I think you're quite right, yeah, if you're not taking into account the, um, the real, how realistic it is to actually um, achieve what you want to do with all the data that, that, that is pointing towards, then yeah, what's, what's the point? Um, so, but I will and to Simon to, to take a bit more on that, but really, really briefly, on the issue of car ownership, and it links with what I think another Alex was saying. I think people who have, um, have, have chosen to not have a car should also be rewarded, as well as the people who already have a car and a van. And people like that should also be able to obtain some help with financing um, cargo bikes or um, electric vehicles and so on and so forth. So I think that's really important to pick up on, but I shall hand over. 
so very briefly on the strategic cycling analysis, yes, it is an imperfect model. Um, uh, the boroughs, TfL is already pipelining money to boroughs that uh, want to spend on good stuff. Uh, if you look at this, four routes out for public consultation, three out of four of them are in Hackney. Um, you know, really, that, that you couldn't get a more obvious symbol of the fact that, that the mayor and TfL are basically saying, if you do nice things for us, we will give you money. If you don't want to do any nice things for us, you can go uh, hang. So uh, that's that one, I think, uh, covered. Uh, low traffic neighbourhoods. Uh, again, I'm going to mention Walter Forest, Mini Holland. Um, if I, if I, every time from now on, if I mention it, just take a drink. Um, so uh, yeah, low traffic neighbourhoods, as Hackney, Walter Forest, and others are showing, um, is per pound the best thing you can possibly do. Uh, forget cycle tracks, forget promotion, forget everything else. Just put bollards in everywhere, um, and you're on to a winner. Um, so absolutely do it. Yeah, I, I'm saying low traffic. Yeah, low traffic neighbourhoods are the cheapest possible thing you can do, and the best possible thing you can do. Everything else comes later, um, but just banging loads of bollards everywhere, please. <laughs> okay, bollards all over London. Um, we are moving this way across the room with our questions. Um, so put your hands up. The next lot. So we have man in the red coat. Uh, woman, yes, with blue jacket on and hand up, and man in a reddish colour top. Um, and then we'll be moving further this way. <laughs> Mark Hi. Strong, you need to yeah, be in I'm that side of the room if you want to ask a question. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Neil Nerver. I'm a local councillor in Brent, and I'm Red Star Neil on Twitter. Thank you very much for organising this. Lots to say about borough, GLA, liaison, which I won't even ask a question on. My question is about Doctor cycles. No one's even mentioned them. Lime have arrived in Brent and Ealing. Uh, we've had 17,000 kilometres dri- um, cycled since the beginning of the year. What are people's take on them? Do we think they are the future? And what can we do to get a borough-wide, a London-wide scheme at affordable prices? Thank you. <laughs> well, okay. Um, the, the, it needs to go that way. Hello. Um, my question is, was actually also going to be related to Lyme. Could enough. you give your but, name? Oh, hi, sorry. My name is um, Amy. I work for Sustrans. I don't have a personal Twitter handle, but you can tweet at Sustrans London, and I'm sure I'll pick it up. Um, so, yes, it was going to be about Lyme, but I guess to make it more niche, I'd be really interested to hear Tiffany's views, particularly because of your interest in, like, like diversifying the demographics of cycling in London around um, the place of scooters and maybe even more specifically e-scooters in the future of transport in London. There has been some research which seems to suggest that um, e-scooters appeal to a wider demographic of people. However, I guess some people would say that they don't, uh, that they're not necessarily improving active travel for anyone because you're, you know, standing pretty still on an e-scooter and not really, you know, moving. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear your opinion on that. Thanks. Fantastic. And can you send it that way? Great. Hello. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, you yep, can. Yep. Yes. Uh, I'm Jonathan Coulter from Bromley. I hardly use your Twitter, so I don't even know what my handle is. So, sorry about that. Um, but uh, you can contact me through Bromley Cyclists. Uh, my question is about the, the underspend. I keep hearing about this, or, or rather this uh, 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 big underspend, but what I asked 
um, Will Norman about this when he came to Bromley to uh, inaugurate the uh, Liverpool Neighbourhood Scheme in Shortlands. He told me there isn't an underspend. Um, they're just rolling. Uh, there is, if it appears to be, but the money's just being rolled over one year to the next, and, and they know what they're going to spend it on. So can you give me an authoritative answer as to what the situation is? Because in the case of Bromley, the available of some sort of discretionary money could be persuasive to say, well, you need 100,000 or 200,000 for this study, like this outcome definition study for the A21. Uh, you know, we want to be able to overcome their objections on this, all right? So how do we do it, please? Okay. Very good. So who wants to go first? Yes, Tiffany. Fantastic. Um, so I personally think that the scooters are a bit terrifying. The acceleration isn't um, quite there. Um, I think it's just too much too soon. On a more serious level, there are a couple of lawsuits against Bird, Lime, and some of the other companies, um, I think especially in California, for violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and also safety standards, I think a couple months ago, Lime released a statement acknowledging that its scooters were not safe and people had gotten into some serious crashes um, while on the scooter. So it was like, use them at your own risk. Um, and this raises larger questions around accountability, especially since venture capitalists um, are backing a lot of these startups and they bypass public procurement processes. And who holds them accountable? They dump scooters there. They take them away. They say it's not safe, but you can still use it. But there's no oversight and there's no accountability so that's really problematic from a diversity perspective as well thank you very much does anyone else want to say anything about lime yes yeah. very quickly go for it um, if we're talking about the e-bikes then yeah then um great um i think sharing schemes are really good for um improving the legitimacy of cycling for people who might not have their own bike or afford their own electric bike for sure. So, great. Thank you very much. Okay, and um, does anyone want to... So we've got the... Yes, uh, the place... What about the place of e-scooters? Do, do we feel Tiffany's covered that? Does anyone else want to add anything to that? I think I would just add that if we're relying on a private company without any funding from local government to provide a service that we want provided for, um, that can, as Tiffany has said, lead to them suddenly pulling out and that service no longer being there. Um, I think there are, I've looked at some of the business models for the cycling, uh, sh cycle sharing, and um, often they aren't viable long term without some sort of co-funding. So either having a sponsorship deal or having some local fun government funding going into the scheme. Um, so I think... Uh, something to recommend local government is to take the power that you have by um, giving them some funding to set good standards and to ensure a good spread of it that isn't just two areas with high income uh, neighbourhoods um, so yeah I think but just relying on the private sector to provide a public transport option in this case bike share um, is maybe um, a, a caution caution that thank you Simon do you want to say anything about the underspend or shall I 
Go for it. Uh, so if every year uh, TfL, City Hall, Will Norman uh, decides that the cycling budget is down a bit and uh, will be spent next year, and then the next year the cycling budget is down a bit and will be spent next year, let's be clear, that is an underspend. Um, and it's as simple as that. Um, on the other side of the coin, TfL's finances are being squeezed like no, no, never before with Crossrail and other and and the loss of uh, government funding, um, so you know we are suffering a bit. Um, the answer to that is not to start trying to fight for money that's already gone from the budget. The answer is to make sure next year they blooming well spend every penny. And if you'd like me to send you a link to the press release and all the calculations that we did to show the underspend, I can um, do that afterwards. So if you get in touch with me afterwards, I'll um, I'll email it to you. Okay, next batch of questions. Um, yes, do your hand up. Any, can, can we have some more hands as well? Yes, take take the microphone. Um, but who, who else? Have we got anyone else in this section of the room? And then I'm going to move over this way. We've got one more at the back there, and then we'll take uh, you in the black jacket here. Yes, we'll be next, and then I'll get to all of you in the next batch. Um, hello. I'm, my name's Lou. I'm, from, I'm also from Sustrans. Um, I was intrigued by um, the comment about kind of not um, consulting or having referenda, and I, and I agree that that's great. And um, having been someone that's worked um, for a long time on collaborative design projects with communities and behavior change projects, they can be amazingly successful in diversifying who cycles and walks um, and, um, and how you get to a point where you have the kind of infrastructure that... Sorry, you keep doing hands at me. I, I just, we're, we're trying to do the questions quite concisely. Um, okay, sure. That's a really distracting hand motion. Sorry. And if you want to diversify who asks questions, I'm you sorry. probably shouldn't do it to people. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Um, so my question is um, you talked about instead of having consultations you talked about having a conversation and I wondered what you thought that conversation looked like if it wasn't the kind of long process that I've had to engage in which is about collaborative design and behaviour change which actually takes a lot of relationship building and a lot of work um, with communities to um, get them to a point where they believe in what you're doing and they want the kind of infrastructure that, um, that you can like build for them. That's it. Thank you. And then we had someone at the back. Thank you. Uh, I'll try and be quick. Oh, really close. There we go. Um, uh, Toby Bennett from a company called Commonplace. We work in consultation and engagement. Um, my question... Oh, really close. Hello. Um, my question is, um, one of the problems that we have around cycling in a city is uh, perception, public perception of it. Um, we've seen major projects in livable neighbourhoods last year with Waltham Forest, which was highly contentious to begin with. How does the panel see changing that public perception to better engender and facilitate more cycling and more public realm transformation in particular? Great, thank you. And then we have one more question over here. Thank you very much. And if you can give your name. Um, hi, my name's uh, Eugene Regis, and I tweet as at uh, cycle underscore wamp. Um, so my question is, what have, 
my most liked tweets was when um, there's a certain councillor in Hackney who's not very pro-cycling, and um, it was to his partner where we were discussing representation on cycling because she didn't really believe that a lot of BME people cycled, and I tweeted one of me at the end of Land's End to John O'Groats and said, well, we do, we're just not very necessarily very vocal about it. But how do we get more representation for BME people to cycle? Because when I talk to cousins or family or friends, it's always about injuries, getting hit. It's very different in outer London as well. There's an outer London mentality across everyone because of the lack of provision there as well. But also, how do we? But yeah, how do we actually do that in terms of encouraging more people to actually take this up as a way of just getting from A to B or staying healthy or or, or whatever? Thank you very much. So we've got three. Uh, questions there we've got Lou's question from Sustrans which is about those you know how those conversations that collaborative design that relationship building thank you um we've got the question from Toby from Commonplace um about uh, sort of perception kind of getting public moods perception sort of how do we sort of harness all of that and then once again the big big question um how do we diversify how do we uh get more BME people feeling that cycling might be for them and um, and uh, it's kind of what we've been talking about all evening actually all, all three questions um, does it, who wants to go first yep go on go for it so everyone take a drink I'm about to mention Walther Forest Mini Holland again um, so uh, really coming back to the, both both uh, the commonplace and Sustrans questions uh, as I said earlier the simple answer is and, and Walther Forest have done this very well and in fact they did it using commonplace um, so uh, so that's not to plug their product there's lots of other things on the market but they just happen to use them um, it, it really is very simple 60-70% of people in surveys over and over across all of London say they want cycle schemes uh, and they want cycle tracks. Um, so we, we have a general population who believe, for instance, they say to the standard um, that they will quite happily sacrifice some time in their car uh, and they will spend more time sitting in their car in order to get safer cycling. Um, so we have generalised support for cycling. Um, we also have a wealth of data um, that shows where we need cycling, why we need cycling, how we're going to deliver cycling, um, the strategic cycling analysis, as people mentioned before. So we start with the data and we start with the generalised perceptions. Um, in in Walter Forest, the first village scheme that went in was incredibly controversial, um, hard-fought, there was a public trial of the scheme. Officers had threats. People were egged. Um, it was horrific. The end result was 44% people supported the scheme, 41 against. Now, that scheme is still talked about on Twitter all the time as being the, the apocalypse of Walton Forest. Um, the second scheme, the Black Horse Village scheme, was a bigger scheme, more radical, with more modal filters or road closures or whatever you want to call them. Um, but what they did was they went in and talked to people and said, how do you feel about your road? Is there too many vehicles? Are they going too fast? Would you like your children to play out? And they got all that data, and then they came back and said, we've got this scheme, we're not quite sure exactly what shape it is, but we'll kind of let you co-design it, something that Sustrans have done extensively. Um, 
once the, the people had co-designed it, they started trying to take all the modal filters out. So they said, well, no, we can't do that because you told us, all of you told us, 70% of you told us you want less traffic. So the only way we're going to move this scheme forward is if the end result is much less traffic. So then at the end, they then came back and said, you told us this, we came back with this, you then told us this, we came and changed it. This is the end result. The second scheme, despite having come in after the first scheme, after the massive controversy, after everyone was saying in Waltham Forest that it was an apocalypse, after 500 people were outside the town hall with placards, after I had numerous death threats, after a whole yada, 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 um, that scheme... So the the people who hated the first scheme, in fact, went into the second scheme area and did hand-to-hand leaflets, went door-to-door, tried to do everything they could. They threw everything they could at trying to make this scheme not work. Yeah? End result, 65% support for that scheme. Yeah? So think on that. If we have those conversations, we're brave and have those conversations, it works. Now, it starts with political will. If you go in a borough and say, we're going to do this, and it's a, an elongated process and it is tough, you need to show will to deliver a scheme that's going to deliver. If the borough then goes, the first sign of, of, of bike clash, they go, oh, yeah, no, we're not really going to do that, then you end up with a failure. Thank you very much. And Tiffany, did you want to pick up on uh, the question from over here? Um, I think diversification begins from within. So organizations that truly um, aim to achieve more inclusive and diverse cycling or whatever have to start by internally challenging and changing the status quo. Uh, We design in our own image. That's just natural. So for inclusive design, we need a diverse representation of people so that a broader range of experiences can enter into design and decision-making processes. So do you think that's to do with who's actually working at Transport for London, working in the boroughs and actually designing the infrastructure and the streets, or do you think it's um, to do with how things are presented when it comes to consultations? I think it's a combination of both of them, but if we're just looking from, I guess, the supply side of things, that's not just transport for London and local authorities, it's also um, engineering firms planning, which are um, lacking in diversity. Thank you. Um, This part of the room now, some hands up. Um, Amazing. We have four questions, so I'm going to take them all in one go. Um, Two at the back, one at the far end, and one uh, here at the front. Hi, I'm Alex. I don't have a Twitter handle. Um, How important do you think uh, showers, uh, lockers, and secure bike storage is to the end user um, versus safety, you know, on, on a hierarchy? Thank you. Thanks, Caroline. Mark Strong, I bike Brighton. Um, I'm outside London. Manchester's just spent 137 million on cycling. The government of the UK has issued a local cycling and walking infrastructure plan. The Department of Transport is about to publish a new guidance note on cycling design. Do you think London has to, anything to learn from England? Ooh. I'm Chris. I'm Chris. I treat as Christopher Bull. Um, obviously, the mayoral election coming up was mentioned, but cycling, quite honestly, isn't going to be the defining issue. Finding issues will be around housing and 
crime, I would suggest. Um, and yet there are overlaps. So, for example, um, the housing crisis is pushing people away from uh, inner London to outer London and beyond where they are less able to cycle. And in terms of uh, crime, there are sort of you know, overlaps in terms of police cuts and so on. So how do we make our case that cycling can kind of... Um, that the solutions for these issues can help cycling and vice versa? Thank you very much. And then we have one more question at the front. Hi, I'm Becky on Twitter, Becky Miller 33 um, I just had... My question was, how important and realistic do the panel think that any expecting any kind of change in the law around liability on the roads, which is something Simon touched on, um, to reflect kind of continental Europe where people driving or conducting more or kind of, um, how do you say it, like uh, higher risk vehicles um, take more liability. So, you know, that applies to cyclists hitting pedestrians, equally cars to pedestrians. And then we have kind of a more preventative culture where people know their place. Um, anyone who cycled on the continent might have experienced that. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite nice. Great. Thank you very much. So we've got four questions. We've got um, how do we rate showers, lockers and secure storage as against infrastructure? Um, uh, Manchester has just spent £137 million on cycling. What can London learn from England? Um, the next mayoral campaign, housing and crime are going to be big, so how do we make the case for cycling? And um, Becky's question about um, uh, liability and a change in the law in terms of liability, in terms of so that takes us back to Vision Zero and how we treat crashes. So, anyone, Alex? Um, I'll just briefly start with the uh, the showers and oh yes, sorry, uh, showers and parking um, uh, hierarchy. Yeah, certainly infrastructure is. I think we all agree is on the streets is up there. Um, just going back to again. Uh, I've been working in transport policy, sustainable transport for a long time, and going back 10, 15 years, the whole thing about showers in the workplace was like it was seen as really, really important to get people riding. And I think now we, maybe we've moved on a little bit, and I think we realise that it's not just about cycling to work. If you look at the statistics, um, uh, most journeys are actually made uh, for shopping or um, uh, sort of leisure and. Um, uh, sort of task type journeys in, in terms of looking at a national travel survey things like that and those kind of journeys might not necessarily require a shower um, so if we're going to look at cycling as an all encompassing practical solution to a number of different journey types I think showers come quite low down but parking um, we all need to have somewhere to put our bike at the end of the journey as well as at the beginning um, and just really really briefly um, uh, well, somebody who is a friend a really good friend of mine um, was kind of laughing the other day because um, uh, my cargo bikes that carry me, they're kind of quite big. Uh, sometimes they kind of block the pavement. And she was kind of laughing. She was like, you should have a strap line, you know, carry me bikes, getting in the way since 2012. You know. But, you know, we need to find better parking solutions for different types of bikes, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's at home and so on and so forth. I think if people get their bikes nicked or they don't, just can't find anywhere convenient to, to park their bikes, that does, we, we, maybe we underestimate how much that does put people off. Great. Uh, Nicole, did you want to come back on... Uh, yes, the one yes. in the far, uh, far right. Yes, yeah. so, um, so the one on crime and policing. But just to quickly um, add to the, sh the shower issue, I think um, if 
yes, um, it's it's a lot of journeys aren't for commuting, but I think if we want to diversify the travel to work, the people traveling to work by bike, um, just anecdotally, I think having showers and lockers are really important for women. Women's workwear is often not suitable to cycle in. If I want to cycle in workwear, I really have to plan my outfit. Um, it's a lot more tailored. It's not suitable. And also the um, expectation to turn up with a you know, full face of makeup or your hair done, it, there's less leniency. Um, so there's cultural changes that we may have to um, push for. Um, but I think showers and having lockers and having the facilities at work can really help encourage people to um, travel to work by bike. Um, on the issue of um, transport maybe not being the top priority in a mayoral election, um, transport for London is the thing that the mayor spends most of his money on. It's 70% of the mayoral budget goes to transport for London. And if it isn't a big topic in this mayoral election, we should make it one because that is his main responsibility. And I also think that we need to think of transport more as a means of achieving other policy objectives. So rather than it just being an aim in itself, let's think about how it can foster social mobility, better access to education, better access to jobs, um, and um, frame it in a different way. But yeah, just again to repeat, 70% of the mayor's budget goes to transport. Thank you very much. Um, Tiffany, do you want to have a go at the strict liability question? So I've mentioned the problems with Vision Zero, but one area of great potential is um, two years ago in New York, there was the first lawsuit ever of this kind where uh, people sued uh, the city of New York for unsafe street design. There was a really wide boulevard where um, lots of children and older people especially, but people in general were dying from unsafe road conditions. It was just very hostile to cycling and um, walking. And the community organizers invoked Vision Zero as the justification for the lawsuit they won. It took a while, um, but it's things like that, having a systemic recognition that um, no amount of injury or death on the road is acceptable, and then using that to apply it to legal and political action. Thank you. Simon. Can I ask you to pick up on the question about can London learn from England? So, um, can it learn from England? Not a lot at the moment. Uh, The entire uh, cycling budget uh, for the whole of the UK is basically smaller than one single junction in Southampton or somewhere. So, um, you know, that's being done for cars. So, uh, really, there's not a lot there. There is some good guidance um, that's coming along, but, you know, we're kind of there on that. Um, I think what it can learn from is Manchester. Uh, I'm really excited to see Chris Boardman and what he's doing with his team. Um, I think it's an absolute... One of the things that, that the mayor should be ashamed of um, is he, would, he was told that Brian Deegan, who worked at TfL, uh, was going, and he didn't do anything about that, and now Brian Deegan works for Chris Boardman. Um, so when you see photos of Chris Boardman walking across the side road, zebra crossing, that side road zebra crossing idea comes straight from Brian Deegan, who was the doyen of of cycle design at uh, at, uh, TfL. So we've lost good people to Manchester. I feel very sad about that. But on the other side of the coin, I'm really hoping that Chris Boardman and his team deliver a huge amount of really good stuff really quickly because that will kick our ass big style um, and we will then have to respond to that. So having other metro areas in the UK that are doing good things fast makes London look slow and, and rubbish. And that's a good thing. 
That's a good note to end on. Do I think it's quarter two, isn't it? So this was meant. Is it? Did anyone else have a burning? Qu- no, we've really managed. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry. There's one here at the end as well, and and there's some. You were you had your hand up. Can we do two more questions? Yes, two more questions. Super speedy, if you can. Yes. Sorry, can we actually ask a question to you, Caroline? You can. Okay. So uh, I just wanted to come back to Alex's point on the importance of providing safe parking space. I'm a resident of uh, Islington and mm-hmm. a resident of uh, your ward. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is a fantastic ward. <laughs> and I've been uh, observing the speed up of um, the bike so- storage. Uh, the bike hangers. Space. Yeah. And um, I looked at Islington's website in terms of cost. So to put a bike in this bike storage space is £105. Yes. And um, I think I've been asking my neighbor who owns a car and he's paying £200. So given the impact of the car on air quality, like roads, I was wondering if there is not um, any cross-funding mechanism for the parking space to fund the... The bike parking. Uh, you have exposed the most extraordinary thing about the Islington um, uh, cycle parking policies. Uh, they are determined to charge £104 a year plus a £25 key deposit um, to anyone to park their bike in a bike hangar. Last year, I did a budget amendment that showed them how they could bring the cost down in half by um, raising the cost of um, pay and display car parking um, and to subsidise the cycle parking. Uh, it was voted down. This year, I went from the other direction and I said, OK, um, if a cycle hanger space is £104, it should never be cheaper to park a car than a bicycle. So we put £104 on to all the parking fees in London for every type of car. So an electric car at the moment in Islington, you don't pay anything to park it. It's still a car. It still causes congestion. It still adds to road danger. It still takes up space while it's parked on the road. Um, and, it, and yet Islington is allowing electric cars to park for free. And that could include an, a, an electric Tesla, you know, which is like a high-performance sports car. It just happens to be electric. Um, I was voted down again this year. So I'm afraid um, uh, that's something that you would need to take up with the uh, Labour councillors, but I'm afraid... Uh, I, <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, um, I, 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 you know, I have tried, but it's, it's, it is what it is. There was another question, last question over there. Hi, hello. This is My meant name. to be non-political. Hi, I'm Sarah Javaid. I run Cycle Sisters, which is the group of happy Muslim women who cycle down Leebridge Road that Simon sees. Um, So my question is, there's lots of excellent examples of localised projects that are being very successful in helping underrepresented communities to cycle, making cycling more inclusive. So as a cycling community, how can we learn from the good practice? How can we amplify it? And how can we make sure it gets replicated all across the country? Oh, such a nice question. Anyone want to jump in? I think investment, um, sustained funding and larger amounts would be helpful in maintaining these smaller networks and um, creating 
a more cohesive platform for them to link up and uh, share best practices. So, yeah, it comes down to funding. Funding. Anyone want to chuck in something else? Um, yeah, I think I would chuck in... Um, Basically, wouldn't it be great if we could get all these community projects that I know you're involved with, Sarah, and I'm involved with, lots of other people are involved with, and if we can make a way of like absolutely linking the community work that gets more ethnic minorities on bikes, gets more women on bikes, gets disabled people on bikes, if we can link that with an actual change in travel habits and um, lots and lots of evidence about using the infrastructure that then gets put in on the roads. We can have a kind of cause and effect kind of virtual circle. I think it would be really, really good if policymakers um, could really sort of hone in on that and um, really um, amplify the, uh, you know, the community aspect, linking up with the infrastructure and increasing both on an ever-ending way loop <laughs> yes simon did you want to add something or no 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 so yeah no well I, I i'm a total fan as well and i'm just sort of you're inspiring me to think you know how can we uh get people thinking about this ahead of the elections next year because you know one of the threads that has come through this evening has been about getting communities on board and getting people to see what's in it for them in terms of making our streets, our neighbourhoods less traffic dominated and open for walking, cycling and hanging around. So um, uh, yes, I think we maybe are not going to come up with a beautiful answer but you've definitely inspired me to take it away and think. So um, thank you. Uh, Thank you everyone. Thank you to our panel Thank you to Look Mum No Hands for hosting us so brilliantly. And thank you to all of you because you have been, uh, you've provided really amazing questions um, and it has been, we've covered an awful lot of ground. So thank you very much to everyone. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.